to Hope Church and we're talking about the Kingdom of Heaven and it's something that Jesus mentioned over 30 times in the book of Matthew alone. And one of my favourite verses and the one, one verse that's been a huge comfort and the one that came to me immediately when John asked me to speak is when Jesus in Matthew 6 tells us to seek first the Kingdom of Heaven. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount instructed us to seek first the kingdom of heaven because before any, oh, I'll start again, sorry. Oh, I'm an idiot. All right, start again. Good morning, welcome to Hope Church. We're talking about the Kingdom of Heaven and that's something that Jesus mentioned over 30 times in the book of Matthew alone. And one of my favourite verses, one that's been a huge comfort to me and, and the one that came to me immediately when John asked me to speak is when Jesus in Matthew 6 tells us to seek first the Kingdom of Heaven. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. He instructed us to seek the kingdom of heaven first before anything else. And it doesn't mean it's a quick prayer before getting up or going to bed. It's a lifestyle to seek it first. He proceeded after that then to explain throughout his parables, throughout his ministry, what the kingdom of heaven looked like. It's like a mustard seed. It's like a lost coin. It's like treasure hidden in a field. And why does he speak so many times on the kingdom of heaven? And it's because it's so important to Jesus that we grasp it. He wants us to know just how precious the kingdom of heaven is. So let's just pray. Father God, Please help us to understand what it is you're saying to us through this verse and now more than ever how to apply it. Let your will be done, Lord, and be honoured through this message. In Jesus' name, Amen. So in Matthew 6, verse 33, um, Jesus says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And this message from Jesus comes from the Sermon on the Mount, like I said before. And I love the Sermon on the Mount. It's great to spend time and just go back to it from time to time. It, it's the heart of Jesus. The more you read it, the more of the heart of Jesus you feel. It's such a wonderful, if not the best, revelation of how Jesus encourages us and teaches us. It's his absolute heart for us. And he shows his love for us as he tells us how to follow him in this sermon. It's not even a theological lesson. You know, academics don't come into it. But simple and it's heartfelt. It's not difficult to understand. It's full of the wonder of God. I love it. And it's where we find Jesus calling us to seek first. Now, I love to look at other translations. I love how they speak differently, yet stay the same. The Passion Translation puts it this way. Matthew 6, verse 33, the Passion says this, So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. And the Amplified says this, But first and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness, 
his way of doing and being right, the attitude and the character of God. And all these things will be given to you also. So let's be realistic. How many of you are similar to me in the sense that even though I've read it and I've heard it and I've tried to apply it in certain areas, seeking first the kingdom of heaven doesn't always come naturally. It's not always at the forefront of my thinking. It's not a concept I can say I've fully got my head around. You know, if seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness is the most important thing we can do, why do we always do the opposite and worry about our lives? Why waste so much time to worry and fretting? And it's especially now in this crazy world with the polarised opinions and a global pandemic and let's face it, this huge lack of grace that we see all around us. He said seek first and the rest will be added. So what are we worrying about? There's a little word that as Jesus speaks he uses time and time again in this verse and the verses that come before. He tells us the instructions and these begin with do not, do not fast like the hypocrites, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, do not be anxious about your life, but they're all followed with a but. But first, but seek first, but you, but when you, but as for you. It's important to study that, you know, what, becomes be what comes before the but that Jesus is teaching about, all the important stuff, listen to the huge list of things he speaks about and deals with the law, the commandments, murder, adultery, divorce, promises, retaliation, forgiveness, love, charity, prayer. He gives the disciples the Lord's prayer, the model prayer, fasting, wealth, having it and not having it and worrying about provision. Just about every time he's talked about these things, he's followed with a but. It's a pattern. This is what you might have heard. This is how you might have thought about these things. But as for you, the reason for this is that he's calling his people to be set apart, live by a higher standard. The disciples are being set apart. We have been set apart. Sometimes the church doesn't look very set apart. We try to fit in when we should be standing out but that makes us part of the kingdom of God. Personally, I don't believe it means turning rebel and arguing with everyone and everything about adding, you know, but adding the kingdom dimensions of love and grace into the mixture. Self-righteousness is not attractive. It turns more people away from God than invites them in. And as I was writing this, I was reminded of a quote from Gandhi and he said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. That's a damning indictment, isn't it? The Bible clears, clearly tells us to follow the laws of the land, but we're not defined by them. We're defined by the love of God. That sets us apart. It's a higher standard, a much higher standard. And it's the heart that Jesus looks at in all these issues. When he talks about the commandments, he, had, he adds a different depth, a heart commandment, I like to call it. And these heart commands deal with, not with the outward, for example, do not kill, but with what's going on in the heart. Be reconciled, forgive. Matthew 5:22 explains that you're in danger when you're even angry with a brother or call him a fool. And the same goes for adultery. People might be faithful and that's great, but Jesus looking at the heart says, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery. 
Now, sorry, men, I'm sure he loves you too, but it's got to be said that Jesus is the great protector of women. This wasn't just to give anyone a telling off. He was making sure that men knew not to use and discard women. He wants men to honour and respect women. And if women weren't being treated as though they could be easily discarded, he wouldn't have had to say it. In fact, I think it's very telling that he followed this teaching with teachings on oaths and promises. He said, don't swear on heaven, earth or anything in it. Be honest, be trustworthy. This is what he says. But he said in Matthew 5 verse 37, let your yes be yes and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Why is the more from the evil one? It's because it's manipulation. And the Bible says that manipulation is as the sin of witchcraft. How many times as a child did someone try to get you to join in or agree with them by saying, I swear on so-and-so's life, I'll do it. It's manipulation. I'm showing you that you have to believe me because I've sworn on someone. You've been drawn in, often drawn into gossip. I swear she said this. We've all probably done it at some point in our lives, but if you need to do that kind of thing to get people to believe you or agree with you, then be careful, you're in the wrong territory. He said it's not enough to love your neighbour. In Matthew 5, verse 44, he says this, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And this really does set us apart, doesn't it? This makes us different. This makes us the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't mean we agree with what they've done or that we're a doormat or that we're weak or that we're joining in with what they're doing. It does mean though that forgiveness is not an option. Hand them over to God. Now, just to be clear, there's a difference between forgiveness and loving and blessing and praying for someone and putting yourself in the way of abuse. If there's abuse present, get away from it. You can still pray, bless, love and forgive without being in the way of danger. You don't have to stay there. Give the other person to God and let him judge them. He knows their hearts. So Jesus deals with the heart. We got given the rules way before we knew what the law looked like. The Old Testament laws had to be given as God was building a nation. Without laws in a nation, there's chaos. But in the New Testament, we're personally being built as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus looks much deeper than if we obey or not and deals with what's going on inside. He's building us personally, refining our character like gold, like the potter and the clay moulding us, and he's teaching us. If we obey the rules, but we don't like obeying them or resent obeying them, why should God treat us any differently than those you know, under the law who disobey them? If we let Jesus change our hearts, if we change our habits according to what he says here, if we remember his grace, rules, Stop being rules because the grace we've received compels us to act out of love and love brings freedom. Jesus looks at what we do in secret and it's not to catch us out or gloat when we fail. He's cheering us on, he's encouraging us and he's loving us better. In fact, in this passage, he mentions three things that we should do in secret, our praying, our fasting and our giving. 
He tells us to do all these things secretly because in these areas, he really sees our heart. Each one is important in our relationship with him. We pray to talk with him. We keep our relationship alive with him. We fast to come closer and to discover more of him. And we give to show that he's first in our lives. Now I can back all those up with scripture, but there's no time now. So look it up for yourselves. But in short, he gives us the chance to have that personal between me and you time when he says to do them in secret. He knows who the hypocrites are. We don't have to worry about that. We don't need to waste time thinking about somebody else's heart or what somebody else needs to hear. He's the judge. We're not the judge. That actually makes us the hypocrite because although even though everybody out there, look, you all look perfect to me, none of, none of us would want anyone else to see what's actually going on in our hearts, would we? Could you imagine if we were completely transparent or that every word that we thought could be seen floating above our heads for everyone else to see? Could you imagine living in a world where speech and thought bubbles appeared every time something popped in there? It's a bit scary. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does it actually mean? It's not a physical place, but we become part of the kingdom of heaven when we submit to Jesus as our ultimate authority and join with millions of other believers. We're set apart. The trouble is, as humans, our flesh battles for top place. We need to constantly keep Jesus on the throne. We need to be part of the kingdom, which means being subject to a king. And for us, it's the king of kings. Keep this in mind, stay humble. It's difficult when the cares of the world come and interrupt our spiritual bubble, but Jesus knows this. The bit before the but seek in this instance is all about two things. When we boil it all down, it, it, it's about our treasure and it's about our worry. And he starts off in Matthew 6, 19 to 24, talking about seeking after money hoarding money, storing up wealth. What's your treasure? Is it earthly or is it in heaven? Who's your master? Is it money, slaving away for it? Or is God your master? It's difficult when you put it that way, isn't it? When we all have bills to pay and mouths to feed. I don't think he's saying that there's anything wrong with saving or being wise, but what do you turn to first? Where's your security? Is it in money or is it in God? And that's just hard, isn't it? It's just, just speaking about that can be hard. I've had to think long and hard about what it is I put my hope in as, as I've written this. God constantly has to set me right in this. He often reminds me that it's him I put my hope in. It's him who is my peace. I think in the Sermon on the Mount, so much of what Jesus says is a daily, even an hourly decision. Just like choosing to forgive, we've got to choose to find our security in God. Put our hope in God before money. He was clear when he said you can't serve God and mammon. And human nature does mean that we slip back a lot. But then after telling us not to serve money but God, he, he goes on to explain how to serve God, not money. And it's all to do with what we tend to worry about. And it hasn't changed in thousands of years. Listen to this, Matthew 6, 25. 
Therefore, do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Other ways worry is translated in this passage in other translations is take no thought and be over anxious and fretful. It, you know, it, it applies to all of us, doesn't it? So years ago, I used to think it was about greed, gambling, get-rich-quick schemes, being obsessed with money and grasping for it. But it's not. It's more about not worrying about the getting by because God's got this. So we mustn't worry about food, drink, clothing. Why? Because if we do, we're the same as the world. We're no different and we're meant to be set apart. He said it clearly, this is what the pagans seek. The implication is that they chase after these things. And what do you chase after? You know, being set apart. We're to seek first before anything else, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Those two things, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, so what does that look like? What does his kingdom look like? What does his righteousness look like? Jesus pretty much prayed for this in the Lord's Prayer. It's in the same chapter. He says, teaching us how to pray, he said this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's in Matthew 6, verse 10. He talks about his will, his righteousness, his kingdom, and that's the kingdom of God. So seeking his righteousness is often the bit that's left out. Seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you they come together it's not our righteousness that but that brings us into the kingdom of god it's his righteousness he's blameless he's innocent and he paid the price for us righteousness means doing the right thing it can also mean being in right standing with god we can only do that by accepting jesus as our savior as he has paid the price we don't pay the price, he pays the price. As our saviour, he's redeemed us so that despite our past, our flawed humanity, our sin, we can be only be in right standing with God when he becomes our righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5:21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In his kingdom, the kingdom of God, how do we know what that looks like? We can have a good guess and say there's no sin or sickness or anything like that there, but a kingdom is where a king reigns. A kingdom means the king or the sovereign governs. And the Oxford English Dictionary says that a kingdom is a realm associated with or regarded as being under the control of a particular person or thing. Or, and it says this in the Oxford Dictionary, the spiritual reign or authority of God. So if we're seeking first his kingdom, we're looking for God to rule in our lives. We're giving him the authority. We're saying, not my will, but yours. Then good works are gonna follow. It's not storing up good works to gain brownie points. Good works follow. They're not the key to the kingdom, Jesus is. So look for where he is in our daily lifestyle. Seek his authority. Many times I've heard it said, seek first the kingdom of God. It's about building his kingdom and evangelizing and all that kind of thing. And I'm sure evangelizing can be part of that and it can come out of that. Ministry should come out of more of an overflow of the life that you already have in God. 
But if you look at the verses surrounding it, Jesus is talking to you personally, in your everyday life, in your thinking, in your heart. So does he have authority in your life? Does he have the authority in your life? We speak or we sing about putting Jesus on the throne. He never got off. Those words are more about where he is in your heart, in the list of your priorities. Do you seek God's authority first or is he your last resort? In the Old Testament, there's a precedent for this. There are long lists of kings who did evil in God's sight. But then there are those, there's around eight, who did what was right in God's sight. Those who did right prospered. They were the ones who tore down the altars of idol worship and got rid of ancestral worship. They repented, they reinstated the feasts of, feasts of God and they honoured God in how they tried to put things right in the land. And I can't read or speak all about them here right now, but they were recognised as doing what was right in God's sight, even though they were kings. And kings had absolute power in those days. They were submitted to God and they submitted themselves to God. Kings like David, Solomon, Josiah. So doing good, righteousness comes out of the relationship that we have with God. In the New Testament, we hear about how faith produces righteousness. James says that it's not enough to have the faith, but true faith gives birth to good works. In Romans, Paul says that the righteous shall live by faith. In Genesis, before Abraham became known as Abraham, in verse 15, verse six, it says this, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. In Romans 4, verse three, it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was repeated in the New Testament. Faith and righteousness go hand in hand. Build your faith, grow in faith and live according to it. This is seeking God. As we're built, we build his kingdom. We become part of his kingdom. And then this leads to righteousness. And as we grow in this, we can then give it freely away like John spoke of last week. In fact, it will just come naturally, okay? So seeking first his kingdom, God reigning, God's will, which is simple, on earth as it is in heaven. Think of what will not be in heaven and pray for that. Stand for that here and his righteousness. Get right standing with God. Do good out of a loving heart, out of an overflow. Know Jesus, develop your relationship with him. Do right things, he looks at the heart. Bill Johnson from Bethel in America said this in his book, When Heaven Invades Earth. Christ-likeness, excellence with humility is the real goal. Promotion comes from the Lord. If we spend more time developing a kingdom heart, we'd have more people in key places of leadership. And that's so important, isn't it? Developing that heart relationship with God. So let's pray. Father God, Help us to seek your kingdom first above all other things in our lives. Help us to cultivate that relationship with you and put worry and anxiety at your feet. You said to give our cares to you as you care for us. And we thank you for your word. Help us to grow in your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.